This morning, um, we're going to get right to it. Um, Dan, who's up here playing keys, he's in my connection group. He's kind of walked by me. He's like, preach it this morning. I said, if I preach it, you might get offended. <laughs> and he's like, don't let us off the hook. And so, all right, Dan, this is for you. Jesus is coming strong this morning. You ready for this? Matthew 18, we'll get right to it. Verses are on the screen. If you don't have a Bible, uh, but you can turn on your Bible or open your Bible, whatever you need to do to Matthew 18, verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Let's stop here and explain what's going on. The Jewish teachers of the day, these rabbis had this tradition. And we've been seeing, you know, as we've gone through Matthew, some of the traditions that uh, the Jewish leaders had, had established. And one of those traditions was that you were to forgive someone up to three times. If someone sins against you three times, you are obligated to forgive, but number four, you're off the hook. And Peter comes to Jesus and he's like, how many times do you think, Jesus? You're the, you're the rabbi, what do you think? And Jesus said, I don't, what do you think, Peter? And well, I think seven times, I think seven. So he doubles it and adds one, like I'm gonna, I'm gonna double and I'm just gonna make it the number of completion. You know, God created the world in seven days. I'm just gonna, that, that, idea of perf perfection and completion. I'm just going to say seven times. And Jesus' response of 77 or some translation 70 times seven, it's whether it's 77 or 490. Uh, the point that Jesus is making here is, listen, if you're counting how many times you've forgiven someone, you've completely missed the point. This is the point that Jesus is making. Forgiveness for the Christian is a way of life. It's what we do. It's who we are. When people sin against us, we know what to do with that. I mean, we've got crosses around our necks. We see what Jesus did. We know what Jesus said on the cross. Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. Like That is our gold standard of what it is to live life is to see Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. And it's what we do. That's, that's why we forgive. And so Jesus wants to really make this point. So he tells us a story. It's story time, Peter. Verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, 
cancel the debt and let him go. We're going to stop here in the story. This king of this massive kingdom calls in his servants, probably his, his high officials, who had been put in charge of different realms of the kingdom. And this high official, this servant, comes in to give an account for how he had managed the king's money. Maybe it was his job to collect taxes from a province. And so he put a bid on and he's like, oh, king, I'll, I'll come back. I'll get this much money for you. And okay, go do it. Now it's time to settle accounts. And this guy comes in and this guy's debt is 10,000 bags of gold. Some of your translations say like 10,000 talents. Um, a talent is just the word, for, it's, a, it's a measure of weight. It's how you weighed um, like gold or silver or copper or whatever. And so it's the highest denomination of, of currency. So back in the 1930s, they actually printed $100,000 bills. Uh, now it's just 100, right? But, but they actually had a $100,000 bill back in the 30s. Um, and so it's, it's just... A talent is just the highest denomination of currency, and this guy owes 10,000 of those. A 10,000 is, is the Greek word myrias, where we get the word myriad. Like the, a myriad is just the highest word that there is to describe a lot. It would be like a Googleplex or you know, something like that, just to say, this guy owes the most, the biggest number we can think of, of the highest denomination of currency, this guy is like in debt over a billion dollars. In order to pay this debt back, this king demands that his whole family be sold into slavery, which was a common thing of, of you, when you owed a debt, you, just, you didn't declare bankruptcy, you became a slave. You became an indentured servant. And so the rest of your life and your kids' lives would be spent paying back this debt that you owed. And so it says, Jesus says, he fell on his knees. It likely, it probably wasn't just his knees. He probably fell prostrate on his face before the king. And he's pleading, please, please, I beg you, please. I mean, just this, this picture of pure, just begging and pleading. And he says, have patience. When he asks for patience, he even begins making these promises, these ridiculous promises that he's going to pay back this debt. Like, if you just give me enough time, I'll pay it back. Listen, if you owed a billion dollars and you said, give me time, I'll pay it back, like, a hundred lifetimes would not be enough to pay back the debt. This is just an absurd situation, but this guy is desperate. He, he knows there's no way he can pay it back, but he is just appealing to this guy's patience and he's saying, I'm going to get you your money. Please, please, don't sell us into slavery. Have mercy. And the king says, no, you're not going to pay it back. You're forgiven. No working it off. No indentured servanthood. No penance. Just 
forgiveness. I'm gonna wipe that billion dollars of debt away. In my opinion, this is Jesus' best description of the gospel. In worship, Blake said, we're gonna sing the gospel this morning. Some of you that are new to church, that, that's a, a churchy word, gospel. You know what gospel is? It's that King Jesus has forgiven our billions and billions of dollars of debt that we owed God. That's what grace is. Grace is just that your debt has been forgiven. The King of Kings has said, no, you don't have to be good enough and work off your sin and your debt. No, you just get grace. You just get forgiveness. This morning, do you know what your debt is? Do you understand what your debt is and what you owed God? All you have to do to get a window, a glimpse into your debt is to look at the 10 commandments that God gave us. The law. So let's, let me, let's do that. Let me ask you a few questions this morning. Number one, have you ever loved something more than God? Number two, have you ever trusted in your money and looked to your 401k or your retirement or savings and kind of in your heart trusted in that? Pursued that job that would pay this, that would give you a life of comfort and and lived for that. Have you ever done that? Number three, have you ever flippantly used God's name? Maybe it wasn't followed by a swear word, but maybe it was just, ah, oh, God's telling me to do this, and you slap God's name on something that he didn't say, but you're just using his name to justify. Or have you ever, number four, have you ever not trusted God by overworking and not taking a day of rest every week? Number five, have you ever not treated your parents with respect? Number six, have you ever been angry with someone and slandered them in your heart or to another person? Somebody hurt you and you went and told somebody how badly this person hurt you. Have you ever done that? Number seven, have you ever lusted after another person? Or have you ever fantasized about being with someone who is not your spouse? Someone that you're not married to, just fantasized and imagined a life with someone who's not your spouse. Number eight, have you ever taken something that wasn't yours? You shall not steal or maybe have you ever spent work time on social media or ESPN.com or whatever it is like stealing from your employer? Have you ever, number nine, 
told a lie or exaggerated a story to make yourself look good. Just twisting a few facts to make yourself kind of look better than you are. I don't know if editing your teeth or your eyes on social media, uh, I don't know if that constitutes lying, you know, like, oh, I got to fix that pimple or I got to whiten my teeth or I got to use that filter. I don't know if that considers breaking the ninth command, but um, we, we do that a lot. Um, presenting a view of yourself that's actually not true. Um, yeah. Have you ever, number 10, which this leads to the next one, because we look at that person with the white te teeth and we're like, and the great body and the great vacations and the great job and the great, and we're like, I want that. Coveting, have you ever done that? Like being ungrateful for what you have and saying, I want that. I want their house. I want their car. I want their spouse. I want their body. I want their teeth. I want their whatever. Like, have you ever done that in your heart? Here's the situation that we are in. Our situation is worse than the guy in this story that's standing before the king a billion dollars in debt. You know why our situation is worse? Because our sin has been done against a holy God. In fact, Isaiah says that your righteous deeds are like filthy rags. The best thing you have ever done you bring it before God. You bring your highlight reel of the 10 best things you've ever done in this life and you bring it before God and it looks like a pile of filthy rags. That is our situation before God. Even in our most righteous deeds, we can find selfish motives. Do you think you can pay that back to God? Have you ever gotten to this point of total desperation where you realize that you are stuck and your only hope is mercy? Two weeks ago, I was deep into the woods, literally. See, I had gone on a retreat, taking the staff guys on a retreat back to Omaha where I'm from and my cousin owns, he bought these, this wooded area, uh, I don't know, 20, 30 acres of woods, deep woods for my grandfather to keep it in the family and I had grown up camping there. Uh, my uncle had a Jeep trail that went through the woods and we got there and we were going to have a paintball war and it was going to be a great time and we pulled up and, and I looked at the Jeep trail and I said to the guys, hey guys, what do you think I take our, uh, we've got a little SUV. What do you think I, I take this down into the woods and we'll go back to this little camp and build a fire and do our war deep into the woods. And all the guys look at the, this trail through the woods. There's not even a trail there, but they just look and it's like this steep, uh, steep hill and they're like, no, we shouldn't do it. Like we're gonna get stuck. And I'm like, come on guys, we got this. And they're all shaking their heads and I'm like, let's do this. Let's make some memories. This is gonna be good. And so guess what I did? They're all at the top of the hill like this. 
and I'm behind the wheel like this. And we, I go down into the woods and I got my dad in the passenger seat and he's also a blind optimist um, as well. And he's like, I'm like, dad, you think we can do it? He's like, I, I think you may, you, you can get this. You guys, um, we got down into the woods and we were just about to climb through this ravine and all of a sudden the wheels start spinning and I just, uh-oh. We are deep into the woods. I got a picture. <laughs> Guys, we are stuck. Next picture. We are really stuck. Guys, we had chainsaws. We were cutting down trees. We were pushing, we were trying to get speed, and we were stuck. We were way deep into the woods. And I thought we were gonna make memories, and I thought, oh, at least we'll have a sermon illustration. Guys, I was terrified. I thought, we are, we're done. We're just gonna have to leave the car here, and I have no idea how we're gonna get it out. We are stuck, we're done. Just, I just trashed my wife's car. You could smell the transmission fluid just burning, the temperature things going hot, and it's, this is not a good situation. Um, guys, um, after a few hours of just spinning the wheels, I was just like, who can I call? Uncle Bobby. He's the one that made the trails through the woods. My dad gets on the phone with Uncle Bobby. He was in the Navy. He's an outdoorsman. He's got a Jeep. He goes into the woods all the time. Dad calls him. He's like, well, when do you want me to come? Like tomorrow or Monday? And my dad's like, how about right now? <laughs> 20 minutes later, when I saw him pull up, I literally like started tearing up. What I did was stupid and reckless and it was me who had gotten us into that situation and someone could have gotten hurt in that. Actually, at one point, one of the tow ropes snapped and like smacked Ryan Hamby in the arm and I was like, somebody could get hurt really bad trying to get us out of this situation. Bobby pulls up. I expected him to get out of his car, shaking his head and saying, you idiot. You have messed up my relaxing evening. And here it is about to start pouring rain and you're stuck in the woods and here I am helping you out. You know what happened? He gets out of his car and he's whistling. <laughs> And he starts cracking jokes and, it, you know, he's the one that gave us all, all names, all the cousins' names. And I was Mark, Mark, Tiger Shark. He's my buddy after dark. And he's cracking jokes and he's telling Trump jokes and he starts laughing and he pops his trunk and he shows me all his tools and he starts pulling out this, this like wench. It's like a crank wench or whatever. And he pulls it out. He's got, he's got tow ropes. And guys, he wasn't just willing, he was happy. Saving me made his day. 
He goes, this is the best call I've gotten in so long. I love this. Next picture. This is Bobby just cranking and already like Zach and Blake and Mitchell and those guys. Had, and guys, our strongest guy in the whole church, Brian Dermody's out because he's got, he just had elbow surgery. So he's just standing there, you know, just yeah, probably shaking his head. And guys, Bobby was so happy. He was so happy to come and save me that day. Listen, church, do you know what God is like? Have you ever met the God of this universe? Because you know what God is like? When you call, when you say, God, I'm in the woods. And it's you who lied and it's you who cheated and stole and murdered and yelled and divorced. And you are stuck in the woods and you have no hope. And so you get on your knees just like this guy in the story and you get prostrate before God. And some of you guys, you're new to church and you wonder why people hold out their hands. This is why they do it. Because there are people in this room who understand the debt that they owe God. And when you get before God, sometimes all you can do is just hold out your hands and say, God, help me. And to anyone who gets low, to anyone who comes kneeling, repentant, Jesus comes whistling, cracking jokes with forgiveness and joy. And you in the woods is why he came. The first part of this story is a beautiful picture of the good news. If you've never met God, that's what he's like. He's like the king who says, no, actually you don't need to work it off. You're just forgiven. It's called grace. It's called gospel. Verse 27, the servant's master took pity on him. He canceled the debt and he let him go. Now the end of the story, verse 28. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. It'd be like, I don't know, a thousand dollars. It's more than a couple bucks, but it's a, a very small amount. He grabbed him and began to choke him. He grabs this person that owes him a thousand bucks and starts by the neck and starts choking him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I'll pay it back. The same exact thing he had said. Verse 30, but he refused. Instead, 
He went off, had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Verse 32. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. What sin has been committed against you? Who in your life owes you a thousand bucks? Who in your life owes you back your childhood because they hurt you from the time you were born until college? They were manipulative, they were verbally abusive, they were emotionally distant. Who, who in your life owes you money? Have you forgiven them? Have you ever canceled the debt that they owe you? Or are you choking that person in your heart, demanding that they pay you back? Some of you are right now in your heart objecting to the story. This is my objection when I read this. Hey, uh, Jesus, you don't understand what happened to this person. Now, the reason I wouldn't say me is because I, the stuff that I have had to forgive is nothing compared to what many of you in this room have had to forgive. I have talked to many of you and know the the pain that you have shared, and, and I have no way of fully understanding, but I, that's my objection to Jesus is, hey, Jesus, but you don't understand the debt. It's hard to rank um, the evil that has happened or is happening in our country today or in our history, uh, but right now I'm reading um, Frederick Douglass's biography He's one of the, the greatest black men in our history that has, that basically helped start the Civil War, quite frankly, um, with his autobiography. He spoke about the horror of slavery and we see the racism that exists even to this day. Um, four years ago, a group of brothers and sisters in Christ were meeting for a Bible study in their 203 year old church, uh, imagine that, 1816? Imagine this, this church, the Emmanuel African Methodist Church, founded 203 years ago. Can you imagine um, 
what kind of oppression and evil that this group of believers faced as they met the last 200 years in this little church, like through the Civil War, all of this. It's just amazing to think about, well, a group of them had gathered for a Bible study and in walks this angry, unemployed, 21-year-old guy pretending to want to join their Bible study until he opens fire, killing nine people. The victims there in Charleston, South Carolina, came, the, the people impacted by this crime came, and at the hearing, before the judge gave their impact statements. Nadine Collier, the daughter of 70-year-old Ethel Lance, said at the hearing, her heart, her voice breaking with emotion, quote, I forgive you. You took something very precious from me. I will never talk to her again. I will never ever hold her again, but I forgive you and have mercy on your soul. A sister of another gal that was murdered said, quote, I acknowledge that I'm very angry, but one thing that DePayne, this, this victim, always enjoyed in our family is she taught me that we are the family that love built. We have no room for hating, so we have to forgive you. I pray God on your soul. You wanna see in real life the power of the gospel, the power of God's grace when it gets inside of a person and a people. Those brothers and sisters just lived out the kingdom of God among us. Every person that read that newspaper article witnessed exactly what Jesus is saying. The power of the gospel in a person, in a group of people, and she's right. This gal that said, we have to forgive you. This is what we have to do. In light of the cross of Christ, in light of the gospel that we have received, in light of the debt that has been forgiven, we have no other option except forgiveness. I don't know about you, but I want what they have. I want what Jesus has and offers us this morning. And I have another question because this story ends with this, with a very sharp edge. I mean, we get the grace of God on the one hand, the love and the mercy and the forgiveness on the one hand, and then it ends with the severity of God's wrath and anger against sin. And that raises an important question. How could God so lavishly forgive on the one hand and then punish so severely on the other? How do those things come together? One commentator, uh, D.A. Carson, he said this, 
Jesus sees no incongruity in the actions of Heavenly Father, who forgives so beautifully and punishes so ruthlessly, and neither should we. Indeed, it is precisely because he is a God of such compassion and mercy that he cannot possibly accept as his those devoid of compassion and mercy. In other words, if you are the kind of person who is bitter and refuse to forgive and choke the people that owe you money, maybe you wouldn't want to spend eternity with God because that's what he's like. He's that kind of God that pardons people. Maybe at the day of judgment when you see someone in line ahead of you getting forgiven of murder and all kinds of evil and you're in line and you hear God say, you're forgiven, enter in, well done, good and faithful servant. You're like, that's not fair. Maybe you don't wanna be with God. And so he says, if you're the kind of person who refuses to forgive, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Wow. And Jesus is clear on this. You've read the Lord's Prayer. You know the Lord's Prayer. Say it with me. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And many of you have memorize that prayer and you know that prayer, but do you know the only part of the Lord's prayer that Jesus decides to add some commentary to? He doesn't comment on his will be done, hallowed be thy name. He doesn't add any commentary on give us this day. The only thing that Jesus wants to clarify about the prayer is the forgiveness part. Look at Matthew 6, 14, he says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. Wow. Here's the big idea if you're taking notes. You know that God's grace has gotten in you when it goes through you to the people that hurt you. You know that God's grace has landed in your soul when it goes through you to the people that hurt you. If you think you have the right to choke someone and demand repayment and you refuse to get forgive, I would just ask you the question, have you ever met Jesus? You know, if I had called my Uncle Bobby and he pulls me out and I'm so happy and then I immediately get a call from someone, hey Mark, I need help. And I'm like, are you kidding me, you idiot? What were you thinking driving down into the woods? No, I'm not gonna come get you, no. The best person to call when you need help is somebody who just got a debt forgiven, who just got pulled out. I'd been like, yep, I'll be there. Drive three hours, sure, we'll drop everything because I just got pulled out. I understand forgiveness. You guys, Christians should be the most gracious people on planet earth. We should be the most gentle, patient, 
kind because we understand of all people on earth what it means to be forgiven. And so when evil is done against us, when people malign us and they accuse us and they're intolerant toward us, we should be like, I get it. I get it. And we should be so gracious. We don't need to be judgmental and just calling other people out and almost bitter about the world just doing what the world does. And I can't believe they think that. And I can't believe they posted that. And I can't believe it's like, of course they do. Like that's what people do. But we understand forgiveness and grace. Okay, so this morning, some of you are dealing with some huge, huge forgiveness issues. Unfathomable. Verse 35, Jesus says, Each of you, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you. That's a very important statement. He's looking at every single person in this room and in his story, he wants you to know, I'm looking at you. Each of you in this room, that's who I'm talking to. There are no exceptions. And he says, each of you must forgive from the heart, not grudgingly, but genuinely from the heart. Now, I don't even have time to walk you through the pain this morning. There's no way from the stage. And some of you this morning, you need, this week, you need to meet with somebody and you need to talk. And it's okay this morning if you are struggling with these words of Jesus Some of you need someone to talk to this week. And I would encourage you to, number one, you get on the phone with, uh, not my uncle Bobby, but God. Okay, you need to talk to God. We're gonna get to communion and you're gonna go right to Jesus. There is no mediator between you and Jesus. Okay, you just come right to Jesus, but you need to go talk to somebody and you need to work this through because some of you are in situations where there's like, a cr- actual like a crime being committed against you. Even now, some of you are in physically abusive relationships. If you are not safe, what you need someone to do is help you call the cops, okay? Forgiveness does not mean that you just stay in this servile state of abuse or whatever it is. No, if you're a child and you're in a situation, you tell an adult that you trust and we will help you get help. This forgiveness thing, is, it doesn't mean that this person now has to be your best friend. It doesn't mean that you now just trust them and are with them all the time. No, no, no. Forgiveness, um, as one of our elders, Eric, said, he said, it just means willing the good of another person. You have made a decision in your heart to want what's best for them, and sometimes it's prison. Sometimes it's, it's justice. But in your heart, you can forgive them And some of you are gonna need someone to talk to this week about it. But listen, all of us, all of us deal with this every day because we live with human beings and humans are sinful and they do sinful things and often the people who hurt us most deeply are the people we spend the most time with, who we are closest to. It's a spouse, it's a child, it's a parent and all of us need to wake up and go to bed with this on our lips, forgive us our sins as we forgive those 
who sin against us. We're going to take communion this morning. The only possible way to forgive, to be patient, to give mercy, is to receive it. Let's pray. Jesus, this morning, you've confronted us with some good news. And for some of us to receive the good news, we're gonna have to come to the cross and let go of some deep hurt and wounds. And some of us are gonna have to entrust our suffering to the God who said, Father, forgive them. Some of us are gonna have to entrust the evil that's been done against us and trust the judgment that we long for. We're gonna have to entrust that to you. God, as we, as we come to the table, Lord, I pray that you would release the power of the gospel of grace on every single person in this room that some people that are so stuck in the woods would come and be freed, would be pulled out. There are people that owe billions and billions of dollars and that their slate would be wiped clean. Lord, I pray that you would unleash the power of the gospel in the person who thinks that there's no way I can ever forgive this person, that you would show them this morning as they look at the cross that all things are possible by your grace and by your power and love, that love and goodness would overcome evil and sin this morning. We look to you, Jesus.